Hey, and welcome to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. Here you'll find a teaching for your life from God's Word by Pastor Wes Aram. So, let's get to it. All right, grab your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, either your hard copy you brought with you or on your electronic device. That'd be great. John, chapter 15. We're going to be there in just a moment because we're in a brand new series called Connected, based on John 15, specifically the, the, the first part of the, uh, the first half of the chapter. But verse 5 is kind of a, a good anchor verse for us. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains or abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So God uh, inspired his word, and uh, John recorded it, and these are the words of Christ. And he said to his disciples, which if you're a believer, this is for you and for me, he gave the illustration, the example of he is the vine, we are the branches. And just as, you know, in a physical branch, staying connected to the vine, that's how it, you know, lives and grows and bears fruit. We as believers are to stay that close and connected to Christ, abiding in him, staying close and connected to him so that we can experience his life and growth and we can experience fruit. That's what God wants for us. And so he tells us that his vision for our lives as believers is pretty big. Again, look at verse 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Okay? Much fruit. Again, you go down to verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. There it is. God says, I don't want you just to have meager fruit in your life. I don't want you to just have a little fruit. I want you to have an abundance of fruit. I want you to have much fruit. God has a big vision for your life, no matter your age, no matter you know, what your situation is. God's vision for your life and my life as his children is huge. It's big. He has a big, he wants much fruit. So, what is fruit? Now, you have your um, song sheet, right, in front of you. And on the back, there's uh, some place for notes. We put this together on purpose, so you get those, and even fill in a couple blanks in the scriptures I'm going to reference tonight, they're right there. So, so the first one is this. So the definition of fruit, so we're all on the same page, is fruit is obedient attitudes and actions that honor God. Obedient attitudes and actions that honor God. Where'd you get that from, Wes? I got it from the Bible. Thanks for asking. Yes, this is God's uh, definition to you and to me so that we're all on the same page and we understand. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the inner attitudes that God wants to develop in us, the stuff inside us that's going to lead to actions outside of us that honor God. And these attitudes and these character qualities, if you look at those, man, those, those are spirit-inspired. That's why it's called fruit of the spirit. We can't work these up on our own into big degrees. I had a good conversation with a friend today who uh, was talking about this stuff and said that, you know, it's not just about being a better human. It's being about, about being a godly human. That's what God wants for us. And so he produces this stuff in us, right? And then outwardly, in Matthew 3, 8, says this, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you're saying that you're running away from sin and you're running after God, then let's see it in your life. Fruit, the actions that prove that what you're saying is real. Colossians 1.10 says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit in every good work. Outward 
actions, outward activities in Ephesians 2.10, familiar verse, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God planned in advance that we should walk in them. God says, I have things that I have planned for you to do, works, outward actions that I want you to do that are going to bring about purpose to your life and honor me. It's going to be fruitful. And he wants these things that we do here for him to honor him to last. He wants them to last. And that's the thing. Our fruit, look at verse 16, chapter 15. Look at verse 16. It says, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. God wants your activities to be inspired by him, to be obedient unto him so that they will ripple through eternity. Revelations 14, I don't have this verse down there for you, but Revelations 14 says, Blessed are those who, who die in the Lord, for they rest from their labors, and their works follow them. Right? So that means, as you and I, as we honor God, our obedience is going to ripple into eternity. That's amazing, but that's a promise that God gives, and so He wants that to happen in our lives. He wants us to bear much fruit. And it continues. Look at... Uh, Look at uh, verse, uh, let's see, let's go with verse 8 again. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus gives two other reasons there why he wants us to bear fruit. One, to my Father's glory. You and I, as we choose to bear fruit, we shine a light with our life on God. Listen, every single one of us, we're shining a light somewhere. And what we're shining it on is what we believe is the most important thing. With our energy, with our effort, with our conversations, with what we do with our time and our money and all of those things. They're shining a light somewhere. Your life, my life is a sign. It's pointing somewhere. It's shining a light somewhere. And Jesus says, I want you to have actions that shine a light on my Father. Because that's our purpose, right? Remember, we talked about this, Colossians 1.16. We were created by God, for God. So as we do this, we fulfill our purpose. But Jesus also said something else here, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. Showing yourself, that's outward. That what? That we actually belong to Jesus. That we're the real deal. It's not make up. It's not just made up. It's the real deal. That's what Jesus wants for us. That's what God wants for us. And so to that end, he goes to work in our lives. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 and verse 2. Jesus said, he's speaking, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Go down to verse 6. 6, which is right after 5. Thank you, Wes. I'm looking for it here. If anyone does not remain in me or abide in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Three branches here. One, no fruit. He cuts off. Some fruit, he prunes. No connection, they get burned. So, let's talk about the first branch. Branch, he says, Jesus said, I'm the true vine, and my father's a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, I'm just going to be up front with you, okay? There's two basic interpretations of this text, okay? There's a group of good, godly, believing scholars that Interpret it this way. There's another group, good, godly, believing scholars that interpret it this way. I'm going to give you both, and you, you can choose. I'll tell you which one I lean towards. Okay? Both are valid options, okay? uh, but there are, they are very distinct, and they are different. Interpretation number one, we'll call it, is that people look at this. They believe 
that uh, the reason they're bearing no fruit is because they don't belong to God. And so that's why God cuts them off. Because they, they're fake Christians. They're not real. So he cuts them off because they're just dead. It's like, you know, in the physical world, a tree that's dead but just hasn't fallen off yet. All right? That's, that's what they say that, uh, that that means. That God cuts off the reason there's no fruit because he just cuts them off because they're not real. They're already dead. They're a fake Christian. And they point to, as an example of this, uh, Judas Iscariot, who looked like he was a real Christian. He looked like he was the real deal, but it turned out not to be the real deal, and he never was. How do we know that? Because Jesus tells us that. There's a couple different places. I don't know if I've written this verse down for you, but John 6, verse 70 and 71 says this, Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Jesus knew. He knew. He said from the beginning, this one's a devil. He knew that Judas was never a believer. But everybody thought he was. Everybody thought he was. He went out and he did ministry with the twelve. He went out and he did supernatural works with the twelve. Luke 9 tells us that Jesus sent the twelve out and gave them power and authority to heal and to cast out demons. Judas was one of those guys. How about that? Right? Last Supper. You're familiar with it. We've talked about it before. When Jesus looked at the twelve and said, one of you here tonight is going to betray me. Who did everybody point at? Everybody point at Judas? Yep, it's him, clearly. We knew it was him from the beginning. It was obvious. No. They all said, Lord, is it I? Is it me? Nobody pointed at Judas. Why? Because they all thought he was the real deal. But Jesus knew he never was. Some of the most frightening scriptures to me are probably Matthew 7. When Jesus, verses 21 and following, when he says, In that day, judgment day, in that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not? Cast out demons in your name. Did we not prophesy in your name? That means to proclaim the truth. Did we not do many wonderful deeds or miracles in your name? And Jesus will look at them and say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Not that I used to know you. I knew you once, but I don't know you now. I never knew you. These people honestly thought they were going to go to heaven. But they never were truly born again. Listen. Just because somebody calls themselves a Christian, just because they show up in church, just because they stand behind a pulpit like me, doesn't mean they're truly born again. Right? That's why we got to press our lives up against the Word of God. And the people we listen to press their lives up against the Word of God. Because there will be evidence. There's going to be fruit. There's going to be evidence. You know? So the first interpretation uh, of this that he cuts off is that they're saying he was a fake Christian. He was dead. He, He was never a believer. I actually think that Judas doesn't fit in that category. I think he fits in category number three, no connection, because he's never a believer. It's my own personal thought. Second interpretation centers around the, the Greek uh, word here, translated cut off. Okay? That is a, it's actually a common word used throughout the New Testament. I'll show you that in just a minute. And, and some, what it means, literally, is to, to take away, to remove, or to lift up. Uh, I have some scriptures listed for you. Let me read them for you. Matthew uh, 14, 20 says this. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up, there's that word, picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Same Greek word uh, interpreted here as cut off. Uh, John 1, 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Same Greek word is here, cuts off. John 5, 8. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Same word. So in this interpretation, 
Um, well, they would say, people who side on this side, they would say that uh, while the first interpretation is biblically uh, legit, that you know God takes away the dead, uh, cuts off the dead because they, they weren't believers in the first case, they would say, um, in this case, that they believe that, you know what, Jesus lifts up a dying branch. Okay, he lifts up. So how does that play out? How does that look? Well, in the physical world, when uh, a grape uh, vine you know, is connected to a branch, but the branch isn't bearing any fruit, isn't any grapes. Typically, it's because it's growing along the, the ground. Okay, it's growing along the ground. It gets covered up with dirt and muck and mildew and must, and so it doesn't bear fruit. So what does the gardener do? The gardener comes along, doesn't cut it off, okay, because as long, and here's the key, as long as the connection is still there to the vine, there's still hope. As long as the connection is real, the hope is real. And so he picks it up, washes it off, ties it in with other stronger branches, positioning it so that it grows in its connection to the vine and is positioned to be able to bear fruit. The parallel is this, it's kind of obvious, is that when we get covered up with the grime and the junk of this world, stuff that's been done against us, including our own stupid sin that we have done, our ability to bear fruit is crushed. It is greatly injured and hurt. And so in this interpretation, what does God do? The gardener, perfect gardener, he comes along and he picks it up, picks us up, washes us off, and then puts us in a position so that our connection to the vine can be strengthened and we can begin to produce fruit. That's the side I lean on. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Two, two reasons. One is in, is in the text, which says, uh, verse 2, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. In me. There's the key. That, may, that speaks to someone who is a believer. God is not in the habit of cutting off his believers. Okay? He doesn't do that because that would fly in the face of all the scriptures that speak to the security of a believer. And also, I believe that this is consistent, uh, this interpretation is consistent with the person of God. Uh, Exodus 34, 6, God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And actually, in the original Greek, that's a triple negative. Never, no, never, no, not ever will I leave you, is the actual literal translation of, the, of that verse. So I think that uh, interpretation uh, one is valid. Interpretation two is also, uh, I think, equally valid, and I lean towards, towards that one uh, in, in this case uh, because I, I believe it's consistent with what, uh, who God is and because of what verse two says when it says, in me. So what that means is, I believe, that what Jesus is saying here is that as a believer, when we get covered up with junk of the world or of our own poor choices, God picks us up, steps into our lives to clean us off, and to uh, position us to strengthen our connection to the vine so that we can bear fruit. So the question is, how does God step into our lives? I have two things on your paper that you can uh, fill in the blank on. The first one, sometimes God uses corrective discipline. Sometimes God uses corrective discipline. He steps into our lives to discipline us. Now, this is important that we understand this. This is not punishment. Listen, not punishment, okay? It's not judgment, not condemnation. Jesus took all of that on the cross for us. This is discipline. Why? Because sin brings separation and death. God doesn't want that in our lives. How many of you parents actually disciplined your kids? Discipline your kids, yeah. Did you do it in a way that was fun? 
No, right? I did not discipline my kids with ice cream. Here, this is so bad. Dylan and Lindsay are so bad. Have, some, have an ice cream sundae. Here's a waffle cone. Hope you stop your bad behavior. Never, okay? I didn't do it. Why? Why? Because that doesn't accomplish the purpose. Listen to Hebrews 12, uh, verses 5 through 6 and 10. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. God is stepping into our lives to cause pain with purpose. Why? Because he loves us. And he, ch- uh, he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. That's his heart. He wants us to stop this garbage that we're, we're uh, you know, making peace with in our life of sin. And he wants that to be done. Verse 11 in Hebrews 12 says this. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. That's the point. We disciplined our kids when they were younger um, with the red spoon. It was not uh, the red, you know, noodle. It was the red spoon, all right, because we wanted them to understand, hey, that was a wrong decision. We spanked our kids. Don't report us, okay? They turned out okay. You know, we spanked our kids, you know, and it says, and the verse continues, later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's what God wants for us. And so he's going to step into our lives to pick us up and clean us off, to discipline us, if we're running in the wrong direction. Why? Because he wants us to run in the right direction. So how long does the discipline last? The, bl- the discipline stops when repentance begins. When we turn from the sin and say, I don't want that, I, don't, I want this. See, because, listen, if God didn't care about us, he'd go, hey, go ahead, wreck your life, Wes. Just go ahead. Just go ahead, just do it. I don't care. You know, I got other people. I'm interested in other people. You go ahead and you just wreck your life. Right? Because that sounds like what that could mean when, it, when we read, you know, he cuts off every branch in me. The branch. That sounds like, hey, if you're not producing good enough, if you're not you know, <clears throat> stepping up to the plate and doing what I want you to do, I'm just going to cut my losses and move on to somebody better. God doesn't do that. He steps into our lives with discipline and he tells us, don't harden your heart. Don't make light of it. Okay, don't run from it. Run from the sin and run into the arms of your father because he does it for our good because he loves us. But sometimes, second thing, sometimes God uses tender instruction because he knows that we are just overwhelmed with stuff that has just come on us, man, that has just collapsed on us, and the enemy has just beaten us up, and we're weary, and we're tired, and our perspective is skewed in all the wrong ways. And so God, the tender gardener, with loving hands, picks us up and speaks into our lives with tender instruction to refocus us, to refuel us. You know the scripture. We've talked about it before in a previous series, Matthew eleven twenty through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Listen to my instruction because I am gentle and humble in heart. Not harsh, and overbearing, gentle, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wants us to learn. He wants us to grow. He wants to refocus us. When we are crushed and we are covered with the grime and the junk of this world and the stuff that's been done against us, He reaches down and gives us tender instruction. He says, just come and sit with me and listen to me and let me speak life to you. That is who our Heavenly Father is. So if you're here or if you're listening to this podcast online 
and you think that God, as a believer, you're a believer, but you think that, man, God has forgotten about me, or, you know, he's just tired of me. Jesus is painting a very different picture here. He's saying that God is stepping into your life to pick you up, to clean you off, to put you in a place where your connection with the vine can be strengthened and you can start to produce much fruit. So as we close, let's press our life up against this scripture. Because the scripture is given to us so that we can do what it says, not just be hearers of the word, right? So first, first question, is God trying to step into your life with corrective discipline? Is he trying to step into your life by his Holy Spirit? Is he putting his finger on your life saying, hey, you know this is wrong. This is, this is wrong. You've made peace with this sin and it's not okay. It's not okay with me and I want you to leave this behind and you need to repent. You need to turn from this. Is he doing that to you? Is there something in your life that God is saying, you need to obey me in this. You've been running from me. You need to stop running and turn around, run towards me, repent and return. That's what Acts 3.19 says. Acts 3.19, I have it written down on your paper. It says, repent and return then to God so that your sins can be forgiven and times of refreshing can come to you from the Lord. Doesn't that sound incredible? That's what God wants for us. Times of refreshing. Satan will lie to you about it. He'll say it's too hard to give it up. Don't listen to him. He's a liar. It's all he knows how to do. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. Jesus, is he stepping in? Is the, is the Father stepping in, you know, to your life saying, you need to stop this. You need to get this right. Come to me. Is he doing it with corrective discipline? Listen, he'll, he'll keep doing that, you know. The discipline stops when the repentance begins. Or two, is he trying to step into your life with tender instruction? You have believing, you've been believing wrong about him because you've been beat up. The enemy has gotten you. Stuff of this world has laid on you. It's, you know, it's captured your mind. It's captured your heart. You're just, you're worn out. You're burdened. You're beat up. And you're just like, what is going on? I believe the Father tonight is coming to you saying, I want you to spend time with me. I want you to get alone. I want you to get away. And I want you to listen to me because I want to refocus you. I wrote this scripture down, Psalm 119, 16. I love it. I delight in your, recree, your decrees. I will not forget your word. I will not forget your word. We get messed up because we forget God's word. We forget his word. And as a result, our perspective gets wrong. When I forget God's word, and man, it happens to me, and I hate it when it happens to me, but it happens to me. When I forget God's word, I put God's words over to the side. And what takes authority in my life are my feelings or my circumstances or what somebody else says to me. That becomes more weighty than God's word because I've forgotten the word that God has said to me. For example, I had a, a friend of mine say this to me this week. I loved it. You know Romans 8, you know, where at the end of the chapter... You know, he goes through, Paul goes through and he says, I'm telling you, nothing can separate you from God's love. And he goes through just everything possible that could separate, that we think could separate us from God's love. That's the truth. You know, my friend said to me, he says, hey, you know that person that has come after you? Put their name in there. Put their name. Put so-and-so's name in there. You know, and guess what? He can't separate you from God's love. Put that situation in there that you are struggling with. Put it right in there. Guess what? Name it. It can't separate you from God's love. That's the truth. And when we forget God's word, we forget the truth. And this other stuff becomes more weighty in our lives. And maybe tonight, the Lord is saying to you, would you just come 
and just sit with me. Remember Jesus, at the end, I'll close with this. When Jesus, um, uh, after his resurrection, after Peter denied him and everything, they went fishing, they caught nothing, you know, and then Jesus is on the shore and say, hey, cast your net to the other side. And then all of a sudden they go, they go it's, you know, and they get all this fish and they go, it's Jesus. And then Peter, you know, you know goes, swims, dives off and, and, and swims up to Jesus. You know what? There's no indication that Jesus looked at all those guys and, and said, you know what? I was with you for three years I, I, and you just bailed on me and you betrayed me. You losers. You know, I should burn you up right now like this fish. You know, didn't say anything. You know what he did? He fed him breakfast. He said, sit down. Relax. You're in my presence. I love you. Have some breakfast that I've prepared for you. That's his heart for you. That's his heart for me. Why would we run from that? Maybe you're here tonight and you know what? You're a branch. It looks like you're alive, but you're not. You're dead inside. You have a lot of people fooled. Haven't fooled God. He knows. The good news is that you don't have to stay that way. You can step into a relationship with Jesus tonight. This is God's word. What we do with it is up to us. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just take a moment. What did God speak to you about and what do you need to do about it? What is he calling you? What is he inviting you to do? He loves you. His motivation, clearly laid out in Scripture, is your good as his child. He's a perfect Heavenly Father that loves you and wants your life to produce much fruit. He has a big vision for your life. Maybe you're questioning that. Maybe the enemy's got you to question that. I understand that. (laughs) I don't know what God's talked to you about tonight, but take a moment silently. And just respond to him in the sanctuary of your heart. Just talk to him. And while you're doing that, if you're here tonight and you've never invited Christ into your life, not really. You don't know for sure you're going to heaven. A hundred years from now, you're not sure where you're going to be. You're going to be somewhere. Every one of us, a hundred years from now, are going to be somewhere. We're going to be alive in one of two places, either heaven or hell. What God says. And Jesus paid the price so that we could make heaven. So if you're here and you're like, I don't know, but I want to know. Or man, I've been playing around no more. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. If that's you, then just tell him. Let me invite you to pray this prayer after me. Mean it as your own. His words aren't magic. Just the way that God gives us to uh, express our hearts to him. It's based on scripture. If you want to give your life to Jesus, whether you're listening online or whether you're here in this place, pray this silently to yourself, to the Lord. Just say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe you died for me. You paid for my sin. You have eternal life to give me. A home in heaven. Relationship with you. I want it. So I turn from my sin. I repent. I don't want that anymore. And I turn to you. I believe you. I trust you. Come into my life. I am all yours. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. But if you just pray that and you meant it, the Bible tells us to make our decisions public. And uh, the way that starts is like this. 
I'm going to invite you with no one looking around. I'm going to invite you to raise your hand to say, Wes, I prayed it. I meant it. Here's my testimony to the Lord. Pray for me. Remember me in a closing prayer. If that is you, I want you, I'm going to invite you right now with no one looking around but me. Just raise your hand. Let me pray for you. For those of you who are listening online, if that's you, go to our website, bcb.church. Hit the tab, how to know God. All the information is there. And we would love to know. Please contact us and let us know that. We want to rejoice with you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, I pray that it would impact us. It would move us. And that, Lord, we'd follow you because you are worthy. Thank you that, Heavenly Father, you're a good gardener. You're perfect. Jesus, thank you that you call us to abide in you, to stay connected with you so we can experience you and your life and your love. Help us to be those who bear much fruit for your glory. May this be a church that bears much fruit for your glory. In your name, Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. To connect with us and to get more encouraging biblical content, go to vcb.church.